0: Aren't you grateful for the name of Jesus? We're going to speak the name of Jesus in this place later today. There'll be a casket right here. You know the scene. It should be laid out. Uh, Julie Goodrow, sweet lady. But we're going to be able to stand here and assemble here together and with bold confidence Speak the name of Jesus over her. Knowing that there's a reality for her that uh, is only so because of the finished work of Christ in her life. And because at one moment, somewhere, somehow, in the course of her existence, the Lord Jesus reached out his hand to her and she reached out her hand to his and said, Yes, Lord, I'm going to speak your name. Your name is going to color who I am what you've made me to be I'm so glad we can speak the name of Jesus that there's power in that name Heather thank you for reading the scripture that you read from the book of Acts when they were did I say it right yes right back there okay uh from the from the book of Acts you know when when they were challenged the work the power of God through those men had had healed a lame beggar and they were challenged on it by those who hated Jesus and they said you need to tell you need to explain yourselves they instead of fleeing the name of Jesus. Boy, they clung to the name of Jesus. They said, "I'll tell you, we're going to tell you, if you're if you're asking us about this lame beggar, let me just tell you, it's by the name of Jesus of Nazareth that this thing was done today. Why? Because there's no other name given among men and under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." We hey, we need to cling to the name of Jesus today. If you've been far from the name of Jesus, if that's been distant from you, or if that's been just a, 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 an amendment to your life, some appendage that, that yes, is, is part of you, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't define you, it's time to turn back and say yes and to cling to the name of Jesus. We need his power. We are not powerful enough. We are powerless to face this world alone. If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the letter to the Ephesians. We've been studying this book for some time now. We'll be in chapter 4 today, the very last section of chapter 4. And today's sermon is a very practical sermon. Uh, The Bible turns from all it's been admonishing us to do, and it just fires at us a series of of, uh, instructions. We've been talking together about walking in a manner that is worthy, and then last week particularly, the Bible told us to put off the old self. Remember that? To put it off, take it off, like old clothes. You don't wear that old dead self, and to put on the new self, to walk in the new self that God has created for us. And in fact the Bible says the word for word that the new self is created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. And so it's telling us, take, take that old stuff off, put on the new self uh, that is created in the likeness of God. We are to be image bearers of God. We are to look like our father. We are to, to have his behaviors, his priorities, all that is of him ought to be reflected somehow in those of us who are wearing and walking in the new self. If we don't reflect that, if if there's no connection there, then truly we are not wearing and walking in the new self. There's something wrong here. Somebody gave me a a photo this week of a a picture over in Spain in the 18th century. That means the 1700s, this painting was was painted, a painting of Jesus. Here it is. And... um, It was well-known and and highly prized, very valuable in terms of its money and price for this thing. And it was hanging in a church, a Spanish church that you might imagine, just ancient and beautiful there. And uh, the granddaughter of the original painter decided to donate it to a museum uh, back in the big city in Spain, whatever that is. And we're going to donate this to to the museum and... um, And um, give it to them to be enjoyed for generations. And in the meantime, a sweet lady in the church, on her own accord, decided that she would touch it up a little bit. Because you can see down at the bottom, yeah, that's what she came up with right there. Uh, That's what she did. She got her paintbrushes and her paints. She went down to the church with good intentions in her heart. And she decided, I'm going to make this ready for the museum. After all, it's got a little age on it, got a little chips coming out of it, and I want to, um, to make it uh, the best it can be for when the museum people come. She's a beautician. if She's for hire, if any of you need one. Um, <laughs> that does not look like the original, does it? <laughs> so of course, the, the surveyors came down, the appraisers came down, and all excited to receive this into their collection, and this is what they found, right? We're supposed to be image, true image bearers of our creator and our remaker, the Lord Jesus. We're supposed to, people are be able to look at us and, and say, you know what? That does point me to the original. That does show something of where this man, this woman came from. And so today we're going to read this together for just a moment. Verse 24 of... Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start back in 24 because that's where we ended last week. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Do you see already, it's just a very practical now. Here's what wearing the new self looks like. Here's what it means for the household of faith. First is this, put away falsehood. Stop being false. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It's talking about the body of the church. Should we be truthful outside the church? Certainly. This text is about the body the church. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That's not commanding us to be angry. It's as if to say in your anger or when you are angry, do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word corrupting there is used twice elsewhere in the New Testament. It's a word for decay or decomposition. It's used of uh, of an animal and it's used of fruit in the New Testament, it's, it's literally the breaking down, the degrading, let no uh, corrupting or tearing down talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of rege- redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And finally, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we know if we're walking in the new self? A starting point is given to us here, an examination of sorts where we can compare the character of God. The, 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 the depiction of God and how we're living our lives and say, are we living li- in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness? There's a very practical checklist here. First of all, let's look at this together. The number, number one, have you put away falsehood? Have you put away falsehood? The Bible tells us here that we're to put that away we're going to, we're to put, take off that old flesh and put it away, put it in the drawer, hide it away. It's not even a part of your life anymore. I have a, a habit of, of things that I might wear tomorrow. I lay them out on the, on the chair, right, in the bedroom. Maybe I want to wear those jeans today, and I'm going to wear them again tomorrow. If you think that's gross, I'm sorry. But if you take off your jeans, you say, I'm going to lay these out. That's, that's something that, that I might want to choose for tomorrow. The Bible says when it comes to falsehood, no, Put that away. That's not going to be a part of your day tomorrow. It's not going to be a part of your life. It's going to be hidden away. Put away falsehood and speak the truth with your neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. What does this mean? It means it's not just about lying, number one. The Bible doesn't say don't tell a lie in this text. It says put away all, put away falsehood. That means we don't, we don't play games. We don't pretend. That means we don't fake it. We don't come in here in, in the God's body of the church and, and, and just fake our spirituality and fake our concern for each other. We don't say, I'm, I'm praying for you, and we're not praying. That's falsehood. When we've got something against somebody or, 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 or when there's a problem, we don't say there's not a problem. Uh, we're honest. We, we speak the truth to our neighbor in love. Uh, We put away falsehood out of our lives. It's not just about lying, because we can technically say sometimes, no, I did not lie, but were you forthright? Were you false? The Bible says to put away falsehood. It's not only negative. The Bible doesn't tell us just to not do something, but we're to do something. We are to speak the truth in love. We are truth-telling people. We follow a truth-telling God. It's not only negative not to do something. But we're supposed to be truth tellers in this place. And finally, it's motivated by our togetherness as a body. Why should we do this? The Bible tells us right here. For we are members of one another. That means when we're not telling the truth, when we're dealing falsely with each other, guess what? Uh, Something breaks in the body, something doesn't work like it's supposed to work. Have you ever had your foot fall asleep? Sometimes I'm sitting down here right before it's my time to get up, and I realize the foot, my whole bottom part of my leg is dead. You know what that means. It means when you get up to come up here, you're going to be walking funny. Why? Because you can't feel that, right? It's not getting the true messages to you. Your body, part of your body, is not telling the truth. And in a moment, once circulation is restored, it's really not going to be telling the truth. You know what happens next? It starts like pinpricks all through your skin. You ever had that feeling when it's coming back to life? I mean, it sends spasmatic messages through your body. And all of a sudden, it's not that you just can't walk. It's like you can't stand still, right? you got to, I mean, when the body doesn't tell the truth, something breaks in the body. You ever had a dream that you're falling? You're laying there asleep, just in the best dead of sleep or just great sleep. And all of a sudden, you have a dream that you're falling. What happens at the end of it? I mean, you wake up, right? You believe you fail. You ever had a dream that your husband or your wife did something bad to you and you dream that overnight? You wake up the next morning, how do you feel about them? You're mad, right? It might last a couple days depending on what they did. <clears throat> Erica must have had a bad dream about me. I don't know. Uh, for, uh, when your body doesn't tell you the truth, the body doesn't work right. When messages are mixed, Something breaks, and, and, and when we need that leg, uh, when we need uh, accurate information to know how to work as a, as a body of believers, if we're not truthful with one another, if we haven't put away falsehood, then something <clears throat> in the body that is important to God is not working right. Our mission suffers. The life of our fellowship suffers. Our witness to others suffers. It's an authenticity issue. And at our church, I think one of the blessings here is uh, <clears throat> one of the words that I often use to describe Poplar Springs is honest hearted or true hearted. We're an open people. And you might use the word raw sometimes. When we come in here to worship, for the most part, we're not pretending that we haven't walked through pain. We're not pretending that we don't bear scars. We're not pretending. That there's not a a dark place from which the Savior had to deliver us out of. We're not pretending. It makes a difference in the the feeling of worship in this place. It makes a difference to those newcomers who walk in here. and, and And there's no buttoned up, you know, perfection staring them in the face. It's people who've been redeemed by God who need him, who are worshiping without falsehood. And in forthrightness before him. When we fake it in church, when we operate under false pretenses, we do that in our relationships, when we do it in our worship, you know, when we do it in our giving, when we make excuses why we're not serving, why we're not helping, why we're not uh, coming, why we're not a part of things, falsehood, when we make it falsehood in our attitudes, listen, we do harm to the body of Christ. When's the last time you, you, this was an issue for you? When is the last time that, that you found yourself in this situation? The Bible tells us to put that away if we're going to be walking in the new flesh. But secondly, the second question is this. Do you shun sinful anger? The Bible tells us that we can be angry, but not to sin in our anger. There are certain things that, 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 that define sinfulness here. There will be cause for anger sometimes in the church, but how we deal with it makes all the difference. How do we avoid sinful anger? We do this. We don't sin. That's pretty simple, right? If you want to avoid sinful anger, don't sin. Uh, that, That makes a lot of sense. What this means is don't let your anger boil over into something you're going to regret. Of all of our emotions, anger is the one that causes us more times to do things, to say things that we can never take back. I mean, we permanent things and lasting things come out of our mouths because of anger. That's why we have classifications of criminal charges, second degree murder and manslaughter because the, the law acknowledges it so many times man lashes out, out of an impulse of anger. The Bible says when you're angry, you have self-control and do not sin. Second is this, do not let the sun go down in your anger. That means don't let it linger. Don't let it grow. Don't nourish it. Don't enlarge it. When you're brushing your teeth in the morning, don't think just bad thoughts about that person and their motives. In your anger, do not sin. And finally, don't present an opening for Satan to dismantle the church. Satan uses ungodly anger as an opening to get in and to do damage to the body. Of Christ. We're fighting a, a leak in our youth area. Mark Gillen's been helping with that. Somewhere, somehow over here, water is getting in. We've, uh, uh, we've, we've, we've uh, sealed up all the cracks we could find, the big ones. We've cleaned out the gutters. Still, somewhere, somehow, water is finding its way into the youth area right beneath us here. And it spreads all through the carpet. It goes underneath the sound stage of the, of the youth room. Uh, and it just sits there. We've had to open up, mark the sound stage, to, to get it, to let, let it air out. We've had to make sure there's no mold in there because it's dangerous. And so just like that, sin is uh, anger is the same thing. There's a, it provides a crack. It provides an opening where Satan can get in. And when Satan gets in, he does not do it to no effect. When Satan gets in, he wants to spread into the places of the church into the carpet fibers, under the state. He wants to spread into the life group. He wants to spread in the, the men's ministry. He wants to spread here. And, and, and he will do his damage to bring darkness and death to the church of Christ. Do you shun sinful anger? And there's a reality here today that we don't have to look the devil in the face and hold the door wide open for him to let him come in and have his way. All we have to do is just hold on. To a little nugget of anger between a brother and a sister. Don't do that. The Bible says here we're to walk in the new self. Uh, we're to seek channels of healing. It's not a, a personal decision to let Satan in often, but certainly he is standing ready to tear the whole thing down if we open that little crack for him. Do you shun that anger? Number three, are you shedding the sinfulness of self, this is an interesting one here to me in verse twenty eight Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Apparently, there were some thieves in that church, right? Uh, can you imagine that? You just have to if I had to preach a sermon on thieving to you guys here, if you all were stealing the goldfish out of the uh, b- the bags or the what is it the beef jerky, is that what you said, Chandler? The beef jerky? Yeah. I might steal that myself, but, um, but in that church, there was a, apparently was a problem with those who had, had come in from the culture, who had been saved by grace, had not put away the sinfulness of their old selves, and they were living it out in the church, and probably they thought it was justified. Probably they thought it was okay. Well, there's a lot of people who have a lot. Why shouldn't I take from them, for me, who, who has very little, even within the household of God? Why has God blessed them and he's not blessed me i'll just take uh, what i think is owed to me the bible has to address this directly let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work we have when we come to christ listen we come to repentance listen now hold on to that that may seem familiar that may seem something not even worth saying but when we come to christ we come to repentance. That means we turn from the old and put on the new. That means we leave behind us the sinful ways of our past. Do we do it perfectly? No, we don't. But the Bible tells here listen, there are some of you in the body of Christ who are still practicing the thievery and the stealing that you did before this. No longer steal. Listen, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Rather, you need to work hard so that you can, instead of being a taker, you can be a sharer with other people. We can't come to Christ, walk in his fellowship with believers, and still just be the same as we were before. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was sit down with a a young lady who was genuinely seeking baptism and to, to confront her over the lifestyle she was living with her boyfriend living together and and just the immorality was there and it was a choice, it was a commitment and had to say to this young lady with tears in her eyes how how dearly we love her as a church, uh, how much we want her here and how our heart is for her to come to repentance and to be baptized. But I had to say to her, you cannot go to the waters of repentance having an unrepentant heart. You cannot go uh, to, to the waters of surrender while clinging tightly to a sin that identifies you so closely. You simply cannot do that. That's true for me and you just the same. When we become members of God's family, our priorities must change from the love of self. We must be willing to give up. Uh, We must change from, from loving ourselves to loving Christ and caring for each other, and that takes sacrifice. Are you shedding the sinfulness of self? But fourthly, do you safeguard your speech? Do you safeguard your speech? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The idea here is that there is a speech that tears down what Christ has built up. Uh, the, the life that God has created, there are those who are using their words to break that apart. How do we test this? There's three ways right here in the scripture. Is it anything that is not good for building up? So young people, if, if you ask yourself, what am I allowed to say? What are the, what are the curse words that are acceptable, right? Uh, where's the line? Where, where's the, the border here where this is okay and above it, it's, it's bad, where does it go from G to PG to R, right? All, all of these things. If, if, adults, if you're asking yourself, hey, what, how far can I go in talking about another person? When does it become sinful, my, my comments to this man or this woman, or my, my talk about them in the back room or behind closed doors? Here's the standard that the Bible sets for us. Is there anything in what I'm saying that is not good for building up right only word for word only such as is good for building up <clears throat> and if you want to take license and liberty with your language uh, analyze it this way is what I'm about to say or is what I just said was that good for building up well it wasn't so bad that does it doesn't I don't care was it good For building up, or did it have the effect of tearing down, of doing harm in some measure? Secondly, does it fit the occasion? That means is it appropriate? Is it truthful? Are you just an Eddie Haskell who's going around just flattering people? You remember Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver, right? Oh, Miss Miss Cleaver, your cooking is so good, right? Oh, Miss Cleaver, you're such a great mom, you know? Flattery, flattery, flattery. No, it, it, should, it should fit the occasion. It should be true and appropriate. And lastly, does it impart grace? Does it impart grace to the hearer? You know, I'm, I'm allowed to say that. I mean, it's not bad to, you know, to, to kind of get my, you know, get my frustration out talking with people about this. Share, you know, just, just you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's harmless. Ask yourself this. When I walked away, from that person, from that setting, when I told that joke, you know, when I left my friends that night after the game, whatever the setting is, did it impart grace to them? That's a pretty high standard. Uh, That's the Christian standard. That's the new self. Did it impart grace to them? Did it build them up? And if not, then that is not the type of speech that is associated With the new self in fact it grieves the bible says it grieves the holy spirit of god why is that because that which the lord jesus came and the holy spirit sealed you to build up and to unite together it serves to tear apart it grieves the holy spirit do you safeguard your speech one of the most powerful things we can do in the church is to make it our mission to truthfully use our words to build up others if you've never tried that you do it and watch you watch the power of that to look and to scan and to be active and deliberate and to pray God today when I go to that house of the Lord how is it who are you going to show me that I can come along and lay a hand upon and say a word of encouragement a building up word of truth to that person there is power in that and let me tell you friends sadly there is great power In doing the opposite. I mean there is destructive and forceful power in doing the opposite. Do you safeguard your speech? But lastly, are you modeling the mercy of Christ? Do you model the mercy of Christ? We're given a basis here in verse 32 for why it is that we can behave this way toward one another. And the reason is this, we're to do these things As God in Christ forgave you, we're to be kind to one another. We're to be tenderhearted with each other. We're to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. And so our basis for living this way with respect to one another is how God himself has dealt with us. We can deal with each other in this way because God has dealt with us in an even more gracious way. You ever notice them? You remember the mean kid in your elementary school? The one in my fourth grade class was named Jeremy Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Jeremy Wright. Um, and he was just the bully, the, the meanest kid. Um, you didn't want to find him, you didn't find him alone somewhere. I mean, he, he just mistreated everybody. Jeremy Wright, Jeremy, if you're listening somewhere, I apologize. But uh, uh, maybe he's grown up now. But anyway, um, uh, I remember one day at a, a big assembly at the school, Jeremy Wright was there, we were, all the kids were there, they were all elementary auditorium, and I met Jeremy Wright's parents, or I saw them there. I didn't meet them, but I saw them there. And it was that, at that moment I thought, now I get it, right? <laughs> now I understand where Jeremy, why Jeremy's so mean. Because I looked at his mama, and she looked pretty mean. And I looked at his dad, and he looked pretty mean too. And I thought, Jeremy, <clears throat> there's a reason that Jeremy's mean. You ever find a complainy person? They just complain all the time. Everything's a complaint. You find their family. You'll find complainers in that family. You'll do it. Every time you find somebody who's negative, you know, everything's so woe is me. No good outcome can can happen here. You look to their family, probably their mom, their dad, you're going to find a negative person there. In our own um, children's ministry, this was a few years ago, a little boy came one Wednesday night and was just being really rough and, and uh, just uh, said a word in the class that you're not supposed to say. I mean, a, a, big, a, big, a big bomb, if you will, of profanity. Dropped it in the class, all the kids there. <clears throat> and Miss Vicky said, honey, you know, we don't say that, you know. And uh, she said, where did you hear that? He said, my mama was saying it on the way over here, right? I'm not going to tell you who it was. I mean, anyway, uh, they're not here anymore, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, but it, it did happen, right? He said, hey, where did you hear that thing? Why, did you, why are you talking this way at all, but especially in church here? He said, well, I heard it on the way over here in the car with my mom. I pre- I mean, when I heard that story, I imagined somebody cut her off in traffic, or she was on the phone with somebody in And uh, she was angry. Uh, She dropped the bomb, and the kid came to church, and he dropped the bomb, right? No, he let us have it. Uh, When we, our behavior oftentimes, it it comes from somewhere else. And the Bible's telling us here uh, kind of the opposite side of that, that in the Christian life, we have a cause and a power to behave differently, to, to people look into, uh, into our situation, and instead of saying, why did you say that word? They say, how are they so kind to one another? Right here from Scripture. Boy, they're a tender-hearted people. I mean, somehow they're just not calloused like the rest of the world. Somehow they're very open to each other. Somehow when one of them is hurting, boom, the other one is just, it's like they're, they're, they've been wounded just the same. When somebody else is in need, it's like the whole place feels that need and rises to that need. How is it that they forgive one another like they do? Nobody at my office would forgive like this. Nobody you know, at my school would, would be this way. But in the church of God, uh, they're kind to each other. They're tenderhearted. They're forgiving for one another. Why is that? Because God, our Father, In Christ, his eternal son, he forgave us. We have a basis for doing that. If you ever need a quick test for how you're treating others in the household of God, measure it against how Jesus treated you. Well, after all, you know, they got a bigger serving at the fellowship meal than I did, you know. They always do, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, after all, I've got a right here. After all, I've been sitting there for, you know, 30 years I've been sitting in that seat. And now they're sitting there. After all, they moved my Sunday school room. They changed my Sunday school teacher. Yeah, he came to see me twice at the hospital. But, you know, he should have he been there more, I would think, you know. I've got a right. I've got a right to, uh, to treat them this way. I've got a right to be vindictive. I've got a right to be, if anybody ever had a right To look righteously at you and me in judgment, in godly truth, to judge us righteously. It was the Lord God himself. But what did he do? It says it right, it's very simply right here. As God in Christ forgave you. Our forgiveness in the church is a greater forgiveness than is accessible to the natural carnal man. Because the natural carnal man says, I've, if I've got a right, if in, if in truth I have been wronged, then I hold on to that. The Bible says, even if in truth you've been wronged, we forgive one another. We find a way because God found a way. And when that way cost him everything, when the sacrifice had to be borne by he himself, he had to bear the sacrifice. He had to pay the cost to, for, to forgive those who had done ultimate wrong to him. He said, "I'll do it. I'll do it." And he sent his son, an innocent one, eternal God who left the throne room of heaven. He walked this dirt and suffered this life with, with you and me. He sent him here. He lived sinlessly, and he went to a cross. And he bore there our sins so that we could put on his righteousness, the new self. That's what we're supposed to walk in. Are you modeling the mercy of Christ? He was no light matter. It was no small cost. When God gave his own son to make us a new creation. The new creation wasn't free. The new creation didn't come on a gift card. The new creation came through the cruel cross of Calvary. How are you treating it? How are you treating the new self? If somebody looked at you, if the Lord looked at you today, or if a friend looked at you today, would they say, you know what, boy, he comes from a different place. She's clearly living for another kingdom. There's something about him. There's something about her. There's something about them. Listen, it's not from here. It's a greater homeland. It's a greater homeland. Let's commit together today that we're going to be people who walk worthy. Let me pray for us. In just a moment, I want to give you a chance to respond <clears throat> privately or publicly to this service today. Maybe right there in your chair, you need to talk to God about something. Wouldn't you do it? Maybe the new self has not been a reality for you. You, you haven't cared very much. You haven't been intentional about it. You thought it happened on its own. Maybe you've just been loving the, the, the feel of the old self. You've been walking in it, and it's been kind of comfortable, and you haven't bothered. would not you turn back to the Lord? Maybe you come today for church membership and make your life with us here at Poplar Springs. We're not a perfect church, but the Lord's given us a mission, and I promise you he's done something very special here. We need you to help us, and wouldn't you go with us where he's taking us? We'd be happy to talk with you about that today. A baptism Sunday in one week, we'd love to baptize you if you're ready for that. Maybe you come today with other questions, just for prayer. Maybe a need in your life, you just want me or Kevin or Fletcher or Trey, someone here to be praying with you, to be aware of, you just want to share that with us, we're here for that. We'd love to stand here with you. But really, today, the most important thing that can happen is if somebody here has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that you come to him today and give him your heart. <clears throat> for the first time turn your life to salvation know him live with him be blessed by him today can be your day heavenly father we thank you so much you're the only one that matters here this morning your word is central and we, we thank you for trusting it to us uh, lord we thank you that you've given it to us today i pray you would change us and make us different help us to be serious oh god so serious about really being yours about marching forward and and, and taking these things to heart, about putting on the new self and walking, Father, in your mercy after the likeness of God. Give us the power for that. Help us to want it, God. Help us to appreciate the fullness of blessing that comes only when we order our steps after you, Father. We don't want less than that. Father, you promised us so much. May we take hold of it. We do so. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and as we do, I invite you to respond.